1: You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu.
3: When we started the question booth, our goal was to highlight the ways that we're more alike than different. Each week, we try to find common ground and shared experiences in the interviews we do in the booth.
4: And that will always be the goal of the podcast, to bring strangers' thoughts, fears, hopes, and memories together and show how alike we really are. But that doesn't mean that our differences should be ignored. We should strive to understand each other and celebrate what makes us unique. Because if we ignore the ways that we are different, and have different needs and beliefs, it can lead to people feeling ostracized and disconnected.
3: And there's a good chance on some level that you felt different at some point. I know for me, it happened many times in school, for example. I think middle school in particular is a good example of a period when many of us feel different. You're dealing with new emotions and life experiences, and it can leave you feeling vulnerable and insecure. And insecurity can lead to bullying. And there are so many other ways that people can feel like an outsider.
4: And that's what we're exploring today. We're listening to the answers to the question, when was the last time you felt different?
3: Welcome to The Question Booth. My name is Dylan Fagan.
4: And I'm Kathleen Quillian. And for the next few weeks, we're switching things up. We really want to dive further into the interviews and hear more from our participants and experts. This will be part one of our discussion on feeling different. Next week, we'll have an interview with a guest to give us more context.
3: But for now, we really want this week to be all about the participants and exploring the pattern that emerged from the booth.
4: And the pattern was that people who felt different were able to embrace their differences, but it takes time. And they talked about all the ways that they felt unlike those around them. Maybe it was because of race or sexuality or the socioeconomic status. So let's jump right in. Let's hear from three students from the University of Cincinnati. Here's Anna, Hannah, and Jonathan.
5: I originally am from Portsmouth, Ohio, which is Appalachia, so, like, the very southern tip of Ohio. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I knew people who had dirt floors Mm -hmm. growing up, and... Moving to Cincinnati, and I, we're part, she and I are part of this business honors program. And so, kind of going into the business honors program, a lot of people came from very well off backgrounds mm-hmm. and knew a lot of people going into college and knew a lot of people in our program. And I came in not knowing anyone. Um, and being from that background, being from Appalachia, have a little bit of a rough around the edges mm-hmm. kind of personality. But came in and was very loud and had a little bit of an accent and people kind of I don't know asking me where I was from and I would say things that were off the wall mm-hmm. like I don't know about how we were mudding or we were on four-wheelers or we were on dirt bikes or stuff like that and people would be like where is this girl from and what is her deal
4: no man I mean you obviously were in a group of people that were much different from yourself I mean if yeah. college isn't hard enough going to a new place I mean let alone feeling extremely different from those around you yeah like you can definitely tell. You can feel it. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like those qualities that make you different really make you shine. Mm-hmm.
6: Well, that's one of the best parts about going to a place like University of Cincinnati is it's like everybody is so different. And you yeah. get people like Hannah. Um, I mean, Everyone, at least the three of us, all come from different places. So I'm mm-hmm. actually from Cincinnati. Uh, and it's actually interesting. So I, I'm studying engineering. And at least in the Midwest, uh, it's a very homophobic environment. And especially being in engineering at UC, uh, I kind of feel like the only one there which is interesting because I have friends in engineering who live in the west coast and they talk about what that environment's like' on the east coast or in in a city like Atlanta mm-hmm. um, and I feel like I'm in this bubble in the midwest of just homophobia in a in a field like engineering so I actually worked at an engineering firm for my first two co-ops never really talked about it and there were actually a lot of very homophobic comments made towards me not they didn't know i i I mean, one of the best parts are not the best parts, but one of the convenient parts about the, what I grew up in is I have a very good facade that I had to put on for my family for many years um, that I used at this co-op, and I would just hear some of the the vulgar things that people would say, and I, I just don't understand how that's allowed. Um, but it definitely makes me feel like an outsider. I, I don't necessarily feel like I will always be an outsider, but in this, it's like I do feel in a I'm in a bubble of. Almost like a time capsule of the past and how yeah. things used to be.
4: Yeah, definitely. I and mean, I wouldn't even think of it. In a, you're still in a city.
6: Yeah, it's very interesting being in a big city like Cincinnati and still feeling that pressure.
4: Um, do you feel like you were desensitized by those comments, like uh, those terrible comments that you heard? Like, how did you handle that? Like, uh, do you.
6: It, it's something that I'm used to hearing mm-hmm. and I'm used to seeing all around me, even in culture, like in popular culture, sometimes even you're used to seeing it at school it was very common for people to say, oh, that's so gay. You just don't really think twice about it. I mean, it's, I'll notice it now. I'm more aware of it now, but I still don't really think to say anything about it or really even feel anything about it, which maybe is a bad thing, but it's sort of a defense mechanism I had to put up.
4: Yeah. Doesn't mean that it's easy or right or.
6: Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
4: Um, Did you always feel a little bit different?
6: For a long time, I felt, and I felt like when I started to have the thoughts about my sexuality, like, that that was something that I just needed to suppress because it was at odds with my family. And then I started to get into later middle school and I sort of had this crisis of, okay, this is not, this part of my identity is not something that I can just choose to live with or without. So how is that going to match up? And there was a long crisis of faith and identity and family that was involved in that. I didn't feel like I belonged in the gay community either. I met, I would meet people through work who were we had very accepting parents. My first boyfriend actually had incredibly accepting parents, and they were super uh, helpful to me. Like when I was coming out to my parents, they said I could live with them if things didn't go well. So, but I still didn't feel like I felt weird in those situations because I, I didn't feel like I should be accepted. I felt like, ooh, I don't like. Do they really think this or uh, how is this okay? Like it shouldn't be this easy. People shouldn't just accept me for this because it's something that it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. So that was it was weird. I didn't feel like I belonged in either camp fully. It's interesting because I had one friend recently who actually two years older than me just came out last summer. So he he's been struggling with this for a long time, and he said the same thing. Like you know, I don't feel like I belong in the gay community. I I just said, listen, all you need to do to belong to the gay community is to be gay. Like that's the only prerequisite there is.
2: Yeah.
6: Um. And I, but I understood where he was coming from. I understood the struggle he was referring to, and mm-hmm. it's it's hard and it takes a lot of time.
7: I think a recent time when I felt a little bit different was I decided that I wanted to try to work more in technology. And I was like, I'll just take this online course over the summer. And in the first week of the course, we were introducing ourselves on the discussion board. We got points for it. And we had to read all the other ones and then leave a comment. And I noticed that I was one of only two women in the entire class. And I think it was about 30 people. So, And the professor was a man. And I was really nervous. And a lot of the men seem to have similar interests, which is great. You know, it was exciting to see that people were excited about being in this community that was interesting to them. But it gave me a lot of anxiety because I was like, they all probably know what they're doing. Uh, they all have been doing this forever. Uh, I don't really have anyone who I identify with. I feel like an outsider here. But then I went through the course over the summer and was really proud of myself for what I accomplished. I learned Java, which was my first programming language. And then I decided from that that I wanted to actually add a computer science minor to my degree. So this fall, I'm actually taking my first computer science course. And I was driving down the street the other day and I saw a group of maybe like 12 or 13 year old girls at the bus stop like with their chaperones wearing like lab coats by UC. They're doing like a summer camp. It just made me smile like seeing young women getting involved with that field was really great.
3: They were so vulnerable, and I know it's hard to talk about our differences. There are life experiences in that interview that I've never had, and hearing their stories hopefully creates a bridge of empathy, which ultimately can bring us all together.
4: Yeah, and actually, I want to jump off Anna's story for a second. What was your first toy?
3: Probably Legos. That's the first I remember, at least. It definitely made the biggest impact, for sure. How about you?
4: My first toy was a beautiful dollhouse. I loved it so much. But I always had to steal my brother's Legos if I wanted to play with them. And it can seem like our paths are mapped out when you look at the gendered toys kids usually receive. A boy might get my first toolkit, while a girl might get a Barbie. There's more than likely a connection between this and the underrepresentation in STEM fields, like Anna experienced.
3: Yeah, it's got to be hard, too, when you're a little boy, and all you want to do is play with a doll, but your parents worry that you'll be made fun of. Social constructs can be strange.
4: But her story about seeing little girls in the lab coats is touching, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and I know if we listen to each other's stories, things can really change.
4: How about we hear another interview? Like Jonathan, it's about struggling to find something that feels like home. Here's Hannah and Joseph.
8: I think for me, it was... Moving to Atlanta, because mm-hmm. I've been here for about nine months now, because I come from a smaller town okay. um, in Tennessee. But um, I, th- I would say the big part was culture, because where I come from, I was with a lot of just white, American, middle class individuals. And mm-hmm. I come here and I'm with more people with my kind as far as like
9: <laughs> my co- <kind>.
8: Koreans. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, I'm Korean. And, um, um, yeah. you know, I, I I didn't I didn't go with people that spoke the same language as me because mm-hmm. I speak Korean to my parents. And then it's just a lot of like, you know, you have white people saying like, oh you speak Korean? Cool man, say something in Korean. And then I'm like, no, that's like telling a dog to sit down. So yeah. Yeah. But but um and then that was a lot of like not embracing your own your own um ethnicity and all that Mm. stuff. And then it gets to a point to where it's just like, you know, everyone makes fun of you because you are you're different. Now it's like I'm in the position of like I laugh at them because they're all the same. Yeah it's something it's it's
4: interesting. It's like something you embrace. I think it's hard when like we're young and we just Mm. you wanna fit in fit as much in, as possible and you mm-hmm. don't want to stand out and it's really interesting that the older we get the more we appreciate what makes us stand out in our culture and our upbringing in sure. our foundation yeah it's so cool that that's so important to mm-hmm. who
9: we are um kind of similar to him too because i grew up in florida mm-hmm. in a really tiny town or city called brandon and kind of similar to joseph i grew up with like no asian people so coming to georgia was a very like big culture shock because mm-hmm. there are so many Asians that just like even mm. though I was Asian I had mm. Korean speaking grandparents Korean speaking parents cousins just like being in a place where there was I was the majority it was I feel like at the time I should have been like this is awesome like my peoples are here yeah but I just I felt like an alien almost because because you weren't raised in yeah. that kind of community because mm-hmm. my parents really wanted me to grow up American yeah Hmm. But then
4: coming here, like, totally changed. Yeah. Um, living here, do you feel like you've kind of, like, meshed in the two different worlds? Do mm-hmm. so you feel a little bit more comfortable?
9: Oh, yeah. I definitely have embraced, like, my Korean heritage a lot more. Like, my friends have made me appreciate it more. I love my food even more because there's so many things that I learned, even though I've already eaten it before. Just, yeah. It's different. Eating yeah. with a community that's eaten it before, eating it all their whole life in, like, a different sense. Mm. Yeah. that makes sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like, dang, I wish instead of bringing Lunchables to school, I brought like my Uh seaweed and rice. (laughs) Because like I love seaweed and rice.
3: That was Hannah and Joseph. We'll be back with more Question Booth after the break. And we're back.
4: And let's hear another interview from the booth. Here's Ronan.
10: I would say the biggest time I've felt different in my life is growing up. So I grew up in a place called Joshua Tree, California. So it's in the middle of the Mojave Desert. And I was one of the only Indian kids in a town full of like rural California, like white people yeah. and so like I didn't even speak English when I came here oh, wow. so it was like really hard to be like oh I'm definitely different and I think the big thing that confused me was like people were like are you Indian and like what tribe are you from and I'm like didn't understand yeah and I was like Wolf tribe.
2: <laughs>
10: so I just like made up things until yeah. I understood that like Indi- Native Americans and Indian people are different things. Yeah. And then like my parents taught me that and they're like, oh, you're not from any tribe.
4: As you got older, did that start to fade that you felt less yeah, different? I, both, or... I
10: slowly just like adjusted to American culture. Yeah. And like, I started listening to, like, rock music. My hobbies and interests were, like, the same as, like, my friends. So, like, the difference, like, didn't change unless somebody was kind of an yeah. about it. Like, where's your camera on? And I'm like, that's the wrong stereotype. Like, come on, like, get it right. So, except for a few, like, obscure people, like, yeah. I just adjusted fine. Like, it was nice to, like, hang out with friends. You kind of just find your niche, I think. It took a while in San Francisco. I spent, like, two years searching for, like, a group of friends that, like, vibed with me and, like, where I didn't feel different. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I actually randomly met them. Like, I was... One night, I was, like, debating about where to move... And we're like, I should like, leave. I can't find anybody I know here. Maybe it's just the city. Uh, got a text from a friend saying like, hey, come to this party. I'm literally the only person I know here because like I had friends invite other friends and they had only, they're the only ones here. And I met these like wonderful people who at this party who I became like super good friends with. And like for the past five years, we've had like amazing adventures. And I found my place within like that group. So I think... The only thing I can say for this, you got to keep searching, so yeah. you'll find it. Like, and you might maybe need to move or something, but like, there's always something out there. There's
3: always a group that like will be your niche. Yeah, I think people stop feeling different when they find their home. And a home can be a place where you just feel accepted and allowed to celebrate your identity. I'm glad that Ronan found that.
4: I find it so interesting that people who come into the booth only talk on average around 15 minutes. They don't know what the question will be beforehand. I've been in the booth for several months interviewing our participants, yet it still surprises me how quickly people are willing to open up to a complete stranger. So before the break, let's hear from a couple who had very different upbringings, but are learning how to communicate better with each other every day. Here's Christine and Sam. Sam did not grow up in the States. So sometimes I'm like explaining things about like race and like diversity to him. And I just sometimes I'm just like, oh, I really wish you could just like know right off the bat what I'm talking about. But other times I'm like, I'm glad you get to enter this field, not knowing the struggles as much and just Mm -hmm. knowing that acknowledging
5: that it's an issue and it's not saying that like there is no problem. It's just like, I see that you're struggling with this and I'm glad you can talk
4: to me about it. Did you ever feel different about not living in the States or growing up in the States and coming here?
11: I came to the States for college, Mm -hmm. and then that's when, like, everything changed. You're away from your parents, and then you're starting to grow, I guess, individually. Yeah, I've had some incidents that I felt very different from the friends or classmates or even people around me. But then, unlike Christine, I never had, like, a direct incident of, like, someone talking about these stuff. They're just, I don't want to say it's underlying, but...
4: Yeah, just it's, things that you kinda pick up on. Yeah, but it, even though it might not seem directly mm-hmm. towards you, yeah. you can tell there's yes. like an underlying yes. thing, you know.
11: So yeah, it was very interesting when she actually talked about it. At first I didn't understand, but now I like thought about it. It was I could sort of feel her point of view, but at the same time I was Korean and I was living in Korea, so I'm the majority. So Right. And I'm sure there are some issues underlying in Korea as well, but then I just don't know about it or maybe I'm not I'm not aware of it. Right. Yeah. yeah you're
4: just becoming aware of yeah. it now because, yeah, you haven't been raised around it. Yeah. You're just starting to mm-hmm. figure things out as you go.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, we talk about a lot of dumb stuff when I'm driving home, but sometimes I'm glad we can have serious conversations. Yeah. And you're not being like, it's not even an issue. And I'm like, yes, it is. And I'm glad that I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> After the break, we'll hear from Diana about feeling different. And we're back. We have one more interview. Yeah? Yes. And it's with Diana. She's using what makes her different to help other people.
12: So many times I've felt different and as an outsider. And um, I think sometimes the perception is not reality. Hmm. And you feel like an outsider, but you're really not. And it's kind of a lack of understanding of your role in the dynamics of a group, for example. I went through cancer in 2009. And I chose to be bald and mm-hmm. not wear a wig and on most days not wear a scarf. And it was my like stance and my visual voice mm-hmm. of being different as a way to bring awareness. So I think sometimes being different is something we should embrace yeah. as a way to send a message, even a silent message, because silence speaks volumes. definitely. Um, and so in that case, I loved being different. And loved the reactions I got from people, and sometimes I would get, you know, ugly faces from people like "Why she bald?" And I had so many people just wish me good luck, or give me a thumbs up, or even ask like, "Can I pray with you?" No idea what religion they are. They have no idea what religion I am, and they're just, you know, can we pray? And so, I think using your differences to make connections with other people is really important. And sometimes we use our differences to build walls mm. with others. Yeah, we
4: definitely do. Yeah. We try to seek out how we are different first rather mm-hmm. than how we might be similar.
12: Mm-hmm. And so I think that when we view ourselves as different, sometimes we use it as a protection. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to build these walls around me. I'm going to live in my fort and nobody can come in. I'm not going to let anybody in. I'm not going to let anybody out. And we miss so much on connecting with others and learning from others. I'm really big on learning from other people's experiences Um, and sharing my experience with others so that we don't have to fight the same fight. And, you know, people can learn what I've been through and it saves them from going through the same heartbreaks, then my day is done.
4: Any other instances of feeling different or possibly like an outsider?
12: You know, I I think it, for me it started very early because mm-hmm. I am um, the only daughter. I've got two brothers. So that mm-hmm. alone kind of made me different. Not always being into the same thing my brothers were into. Mm-hmm. And it's always just kind of been in my makeup to be who I am and yeah. not necessarily always categorize that as quote-unquote different. Yeah. But it's just me. And just who you are. Yeah. And I think there's... Even though we are all different in the world, Mm -hmm. again, we all find similarities with each other and we all have commonalities with one another and we use those to create bonds. Mm -hmm. Um, So as different as I am, somebody else is different.
4: I loved how she touched on the foundation of what the Question Booth is all about. There's power in connecting with others that are different than ourselves. And if we are open to it, we uncover that we actually have more in common than we could have ever imagined.
3: And being different can be confusing, frustrating, lonely, and scary. But it's also beautiful, honest, and inspiring. Being different should be celebrated. And every week, we are so thankful for all the different participants that stumble upon our Question Booth people from different walks of life. It's a way that everyone can come together.
4: Yes, you are the ones that make our show so unique.
3: And of course, we want to know what you think. When have you felt different? You can write to us at the question booth at howstuffworks.com or tweet us at question underscore booth with your answer. We'd like to give a special thanks this week to our executive producer, Julie Douglas. And we'd also like to thank Pont City Market for hosting the question booth. The question booth is written, edited, and scored by me, Dylan Fagan, and my co-host, Kathleen Quillian. Thank you, Kathleen.
4: Thanks, Dylan. And thanks to everyone who came into the booth and spoke to me about this question. And if you're in Atlanta, you can visit The Question Booth. We're on the second floor of Pont City Market, 12 to 5 p.m., Friday through Sunday. Also, if you like what you hear, we'd love if you gave us a quick review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show.
3: And next week, we'll be talking more about feeling different. We'll have an interview with artist and disability activist Barry Lee. But until then,
4: see you in The Question Booth.